Hare Krishna, uh, today is Prabhupada's Vyasa Puja Day. It is August 24th, 2019, and I am in San Diego, California, as far as I know. Um, many things are, are often said about Prabhupada, and they're true about the glories of Prabhupada. Um, how a society, how a spiritual society deals with its leader is, uh, is a very critical point. Uh, on the one hand, um, if one is fortunate enough to have a bona fide representative of God, as in our case with Prabhupada, or an exalted representative of God, then obviously there must be a proper etiquette because we are conditioned souls. We still have propensity to envy or to uh, simply not to take spiritual things as seriously as we should, which is why we're in the material world. So those who are trying to advance spiritually, uh, they protect their own spiritual life and, they, and the society protects itself by establishing certain norms of etiquette about how a great personality should be treated. And um, what we find is a tendency in the history of religions to uh, that a greater glorification tends to be favored over a lesser one, even if the lesser one is actually more historically accurate. And to give one example of that, uh, the case of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, where if we look at, if we look at um, the first century after the passing of Jesus, after the crucifixion, whether, you know, whether he went to Kashmir or Glastonbury, England, or to the right hand of God, the right side of God, uh, he wasn't in Israel. And so there were many competing theories about who he was. There were many different philosophies about the nature of Jesus. And I think this is interesting and relevant to us because basically the center of these controversies, of these competing theories of who Jesus was, the center of it was the recognition by most people that in one sense, Jesus was human. I mean, he, you know, ate food and drank water and walked and slept at night. And uh, he was born to a mother. And then he eventually uh, passed away. And so, therefore, there, everyone or most people, not everyone, but most people saw that, yeah, there's something about Jesus which is human. On the other hand, they saw there's something about Jesus which is not human, which is not material, which is divine. And uh, the ability of Jesus to save us or the ability of Jesus to represent God depends not simply on drinking water or eating, I don't know, Israeli sandwiches from 2,000 years ago. That's not where his divine power comes from. The power comes from his spiritual nature and his special relationship with God.
So there were different theories. Some people said, well, Jesus is a human being who received divine power from God. Some people said Jesus is, is first of all, a spiritual being who simply appeared to act as a human being. Some people said uh, that the human part of Jesus was another person and the saving spiritual part was the real Jesus. And so there were all these different theories, actually. And eventually, they, uh, as often happens, they took the worst one and uh, developed the Trinity theory. But that's another topic. So, so in the case of Prabhupada, uh, we have the same discussion. Not exactly in the same way as in the case of Jesus, and also in the case of Muhammad. For, to give an example, um, in the very early days of Islam, when it was still, I think, you know, anyway, I won't make any comments here. In the early days of Islam, um, right after Muhammad disappeared from this world, uh, the Muslims had the Quran, which everyone agreed was somehow a divinely revealed text. So if you didn't believe that, you weren't a Muslim. You had to believe the Quran was actually a book that God revealed to human beings through the uh, angel Gabriel, through Muhammad. But then what about the, so to speak, the Muhammad Lilamrita? I mean, because Muhammad had, had been alive recently and people were saying, well, Muhammad said this to me or Muhammad said that to me. Or I talked to an early follower of Muhammad that said that once Muhammad said this. So they had to figure out, what do we do with all this? What is the, I mean, to their credit, they had a rational approach. I can't say every religion I know takes a rational approach to these things. Uh, but at least in early Islam, they did. And uh, so they thought we have to categorize these things. We have to come up with some rational way to classify the statements of Muhammad. And are any of them on the same level as the Quran? In other words, in our language, is it Shastra? Or uh, is it just Muhammad's opinion? Or is it maybe not the same as, as, as Scripture, not the same as the Quran, but still something we should follow? And so they, uh, they approached this rationally and systematically and came up with their conclusions, of course, and, and you know, established their religion. So if we see in the development in the early phases of religious movements, uh, we see the same thing in ISKCON, of course. For example, if you're a member of the Hare Krishna movement, you have to accept that Krishna is God or Krishna is to Bhagavan Swayam, that Krishna is the original form of God, or you, accept, you have to accept that Prabhupada is Krishna's pure representative and the founder of Charya Viscon. So some things we all agree on, but there are things that Prabhupada said that are not in Shastra. And then you have Prabhupada's statement that the guru speaks infallibly when he is directly quoting Shastra. And so these are topics which um, are being discussed and need to be discussed. And uh, of course, danger the danger on one side is relativizing Prabhupada uh, too much and just saying, well, you know, whenever he says this or that, that's, it's not Shastra, so he's just an ordinary person. 
uh, that's extreme and uh, dangerous. And then there's the other extreme where it's sort of backdoor impersonalism, where Prabhupada is God. I mean, we don't say Prabhupada is God, but it's like we just don't use the word God. But just like Krishna knows everything, Prabhupada knew everything, just as Krishna is infallible, Achuta, so Prabhupada is infallible. And so whatever Prabhupada said, it's the same as whatever Krishna says, even if Prabhupada is not quoting Krishna. Prabhupada is, so uh, to me, that's an extreme. It's an extreme that Prabhupada himself rejected. So if you believe everything Prabhupada said, you should believe that too. Um, so how do you, it's a very sensitive topic because uh, if someone, you know, someone may agree, well, yes, Prabhupada is not materially infallible. But then if you try to apply this and say, well, this particular statement may not be applicable for us today, then it's very likely that you will be accused of offending Prabhupada of, um, you know, and, and just being a terrible person and uh, almost an enemy of the Hare Krishna movement, even if you're a member of the Hare Krishna movement. So it's a very sensitive topic. People are afraid, many devotees are afraid that it's a slippery slope to use the term in formal logic that, which is, by the way, is a logical fallacy. It's the idea that once you start down a path, you can't stop. So even though let's say it's reasonable to go five steps down that path, if you go 10 steps down that path, uh, something terrible will happen. And if you take five steps, you'll probably take 10 steps so we should stop people from taking five steps, even though that's okay. And even if they actually need to take five steps because there's something five steps away, which is essential for their life. So no matter how important it is, just don't even go there. Don't even start because once you, you're sort of, as they say, opening the floodgates, opening Pandora's box, once you take those five steps, people will take 10 steps, 20 steps, 30 steps, and you will destroy the Hare Krishna movement. So um, it's understandable in terms of human psychology that some people think that way. And it's also understandable that there have been cases in history where some people uh, couldn't stop at the right place that, um, you know, they took five steps and then even though they were told this is as far as you should go, they couldn't stop. So, you know, that's possible. But um, if, if a movement is claiming to be or trying to be or imagining it is a spiritual science, then uh, there has to be some scope, some freedom for precision, for saying what things really are. Because otherwise we can say that um, Prabhupada is, or obviously as Prabhupada himself said, that a pure devotee is not materially infallible or all-knowing. But at times, if one wants to apply that principle, then it's, you know, the doors slam in your face and uh, you're accused of all kinds of terrible things. So it's a principle that you can acknowledge in theory, but uh, if you ever try to apply it, uh, many people will get very angry and disturbed. 
It's not something to be applied. It's just something to be acknowledged as a general idea. So one could say that, um, so what? Why even talk about these things? Why don't we just tell nectar stories? You know, when there's so much nectar to talk about, why are we even talking about this? And uh, I believe there's a very good reason, to, at least for some of us to talk about it. And that is because uh, some of us are very concerned about the fate of ISKCON, of the Hare Krishna movement, are very concerned that the movement actually be successful, not simply by, uh, you know, what's, what's that old song, uh, wishing and hoping, and, you know, it's just, it's like if you just wish on a star, somehow it'll happen. Uh, but, but Prabhupada indicated many times that uh, we need practical strategies. And so if some of us believe that a certain inflexibility in certain details of spiritual life, not our basic principles, uh, if there's a certain inflexibility which is preventing us from taking practical steps to make our movement successful to fulfill Prabhupada's desires to save the world and, you know, minor things like that, then it does become an issue. Now, if that's something which is just not that important to you, if you just think that, you know, it's all nectar and it'll all happen someday and, uh, you know, all you need is nectar. To paraphrase a Beatles song, you know, all you need is nectar. Then uh, someone may think that the kind of topic I'm discussing now is just a disturbance, it's a waste of time, it's offensive, it's many horrible things. Uh, but I personally am convinced that it is absolutely necessary to do, of course, with all the proper etiquette, but it's something which is necessary to do if the Hare Krishna movement is actually going to be successful and fulfill Prabhupada's desires. So um, I and many of you or all of you that are listening, you know, we are all uh, trying our best to dedicate our lives to Prabhupada's mission. And uh, the types of tensions, the types of differences of approach, some people think that, you know, what I'm doing is really bad. And a lot of people think it's really great. And, you know, guess which side I'm on. But anyway, um, these kinds of disagreements or tensions are found in every religion on earth. I mean, at least every religion that has any interest at all in uh, spreading in the world. And even some religions that aren't concerned with spreading, they just, these are tensions because because every movement, every society, frankly, whether it's religious or political or cultural, whatever it is, if it doesn't adapt, it will literally become a dinosaur in the sense of the dinosaur is a symbol. You know, why do we say things are dinosaurs? Because the dinosaurs are very big and very powerful, but with not very much ability to adapt. 
And so the word dinosaur refers to something which may be impressive in some ways, but because of its inability to adapt, ultimately dies out. And so whether you are a religious movement or, or, a, uh, or a large or small animal, uh, adaptation is actually necessary. And so in every religion, some people are, you know, they think, well, you're adapting too much, you're going too far, and uh, the old formula will work. We just have to just do what we always did. Times haven't really changed, which is probably one of the most amazing things that anyone on this planet could say, that times haven't changed. But some people do say it. Or that even though the world is very different than it is now, uh, Prabhupada gave us not simply a particular style, but it's universal, it's equally relevant, equally effective at all times and places. Uh, speaking now about the external culture, not speaking about uh, the core philosophy and practices, which in fact are eternal. But when we talk about other things, um, if it's the case that Prabhupada gave us an external style which is universal, it will be the first time in history, certainly the first time in Vaishnava history that ever happened. It will be the first time in the history of any religion that it happened. And we have no evidence that that's the case. If we look at the results of the missionary activities of the Hare Krishna movement, despite the extraordinary determination uh, so many devotees to interpret everything that's happening to this movement in in, in an literally incredibly positive way. Um, in the real world, in Vaishnava history, in Gaudiya Vaishnava history, we see a continuous process of adaptation. And when even necessary adaptations are interpreted as offenses, against the founder Acharya as thinking you know more than Prabhupada. Uh, it's not impossible. I mean, there may be someone who's so crazy they actually think they know more than Prabhupada. I hope I'm not that crazy. Actually, it's Prabhupada himself who ordered us repeatedly to adapt. It's Prabhupada who ordered us to. So, so if, if I try to adapt Krishna consciousness, I don't think I'm more intelligent than Prabhupada. I'm actually trying to carry out Prabhupada's instructions. I'm actually trying to carry out Prabhupada's instructions. But of course, people interpret things in their own way. So today is Prabhupada's appearance day and uh, to me, it's a time to remember and rededicate myself to uh, Prabhupada's instructions to me. I think Prabhupada, what Prabhupada really wanted was that we take him seriously and taking Prabhupada seriously doesn't only mean telling nectar stories because it's actually not true that all you need 
is nectar. That's actually not true. What we also need is to maturely, intelligently understand what Prabhupada taught and then find a way to carry out his mission in a way that makes it successful in the world. And so uh, I think that's about it for today. So um, I wish you all success in your own service to Prabhupada. And uh, let's see if there's any questions here. No, there's not. So thank you all very much for listening, and I hope we can all work together to spread Prabhupada's mission. Hare Krishna.